if there's widespread killing, arson and looting. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Renita Malhotra Hora. Well, crude oil tanks again drowning oil producers' stocks and the U.S. stock rebound fizzles as energy shares slide with crude oil. Citigroup and Intel post profits. So does J.P. Morgan, but it missed analyst estimates. This morning on Money for Nothing, we will talk about the Asia debut of the venerable U.S. stock market newspaper Barron's. Joining us for that discussion is Copen Tan, the managing editor of Barron's Asia. For a look at regional interest rates and currencies, we'll also be joined by Francis Chung of Credit Agricole CIB. And Simon Ferry of Mercer joins us for a quick comment on the Global Pension Index. And then we'll uh, take a look at coin carts, which are systematically visiting neighborhoods around the city, exchanging octopus credit for coins. Lydia Chan of the HKMA will join us for that to explain the goals of the program. And on deck with us through the program as guest host is Stuart Altcraft of City Trust. Good morning, Stuart. A look at today's uh, top stories. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq ended up slightly breaking a three-day string of declines that marked their worst losses since 2011. But the Dow finished lower for a fourth session on lingering worries about global demand. The Dow Jones fell 5.8% points to 16,315. The S&P 500 gained three points to 1,877. And the Nasdaq added 13.5 points to 4,227. Asian markets are currently open. The Nikkei is up three-tenths of a percent to 14,993. Australia's ASX is up half a percent to 5,234. And Seoul's Kospi is up uh, one-fifth of a percent to 1,934. Another slump in crude oil prices pummeled the energy sector, however. The benchmark West Texas sank 4% at $82 a barrel, which is a 28-month low, while the Brent crude uh, lost 3%, 3.5% to $85 a barrel, a fresh four-year low. The slide came after the International Energy Agency cut its outlook for oil demand growth by more than 20% while reporting that September oil production had jumped. Among the losers in the U.S. were Chesapeake Energy, ConocoPhillips, Mid-States Petroleum and Hercules Offshore. Earnings posted by U.S. companies came out strong. For the most part, Intel reported a $14.6 billion in revenue in the third quarter, which is an 8% rise from last year. Its net income for the quarter reached $3.3 billion and earnings per share was $0.66. Stacey Smith, uh, the CFO, attributes the company's success to a couple of different things. We're seeing generally economic strengthening, which is leading to nice demand patterns for us, particularly in mature markets. And I think more importantly, you can see our strategy playing through in the results. Uh, We're growing the client market. We shipped over 100 million microprocessors for the first time in our history. That led to record revenue and it led to 30 percent operating margin growth versus a year ago. 
So maybe the PC isn't dead after all. But the company hasn't had much success with its mobile business, which continued to see massive losses. Citigroup's third quarter profit increased 13% from the, the same period a year earlier as trading picked up and credit losses continued to decline. But its results were sullied by the disclosure of a second internal fraud investigation in its Mexican unit. The bank reported a profit of $1.15 a share on a revenue of $19.9 billion. The earnings beat analyst estimates of $1.12 a share and a revenue of $19 billion. JP Morgan also posted a profit, moving past the huge legal claims that pushed it into a rare loss the same t- time last year, the same quarter last year, but its, uh, miss, but its earnings missed estimates. The bank recorded a net income of $5.6 billion, or $1.36 per, sh- per share for the third quarter, and this is compared with a loss of $380 million a year earlier. Analysts had expected earnings of $1.38 per share. Stuart, um, what do you make of the earnings that have been posted today? Well, <clears throat> I think they're mainly in line with, for- with forecasts. They're up and down a little bit, but they're mainly in line. And I think that uh, after we've seen a period of sell-off in markets, that uh, now that we're seeing the earnings coming back in line, I think markets are going to be a bit more stable. Um, the, the sell-off of the last couple of weeks has uh, probably been a good healthy correction and a great opportunity for people to come back buy buy, buy back in right now um, maybe maybe wait a couple more days see how the trend goes for the rest of this week because it's a bank earnings week in the US and therefore um, the trends will be set as a result of this week so you think the roller coaster will ease um, no. No. Okay. <laughs> Come on. A roller coaster is there. What the market, that's what the market does all the time. <laughs> Therein lies the truth. <laughs> yes, exactly. But that's good. You know, roller coaster is good. Those that uh, know what they're doing, buy at the bottom. Those that don't, buy at the top. So what should we be buying? Um, well, that's not what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're here to just uh, ensure that people uh, uh, learn and educate themselves about uh, trying to buy at the right time. Okay. Yeah, buying at the market um, uh, right now is probably quite a good move because overall I think markets are t- still trending upwards and, and the correction has been very healthy. All right, let's bring in Francis Chung, who is the head of rate strategy at Credit Agriculture. She joins us now by phone. Good morning, Francis. So, Francis, there has been a breakdown recently in correlations between U.S. dollar rates and quite a number of the individual Asian rates. Is this a factor of volatility and diverging monetary policies? Yeah, I think actually um, the monetary policy side, uh, everyone is focusing on the Fed. However, there seems to be quite different interpretation even on the same events uh, across different markets and across different asset classes. So uh, today is a very good example. For example, uh, you see uh, the equity market in Asia is opening uh, stronger, including the Kospi, but at the same time, the one is uh, actually weakening. So uh, in on the rate side, it is a very similar story that first we have uh, lots of local factors that is a the rates. Uh, in particular, in China, uh, we have a lot of focus on what the PBOC is doing, uh, which is quite uh, regardless of what the Fed is doing. Uh, but not only in the very short end, and even the 10-year yields, uh, there seems to be also different factors driving the U.S. versus uh, in some Asian markets. Francis, are you of the view that uh, we're going to see uh, any more um, changes in interest rates in the U.S. or in the euro in the near future? Mm, we, we 
still think that rates are going higher as a medium trend. Uh, but, have you got a date on that? Uh, but the problem is that we have a lot of different uncertainties and the Fed members are being quite inconsistent with each other. So uh, if you look at the FOMC minutes, they sounded fairly uh, optimistic about the growth outlook, but they continue to keep uh, the wordings like considerable period, etc. So they seem to be trying to buy time. And as said, it seems uh, every investor is trying to pack those phrases that is favorable for their trade. So uh, for now, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty surrounding. But I would like to um, uh, highlight that the market seems to be too complacent in pricing in uh, the interest rates uh, rising trajectory. And what would you think would be the impact in Asia of, uh, say, a quarter percent rise in the Fed Reserve rate? There must uh, be uh, triggering some uh, capital flows uh, reversal. So there could be on and off some capital outflows from some markets, especially those uh, who have a current account deficit because they are very vulnerable to some or even it is a short period of capital outflow. Uh, but uh, we note that actually interest in uh, lots of Asian markets are still there. So it's just a matter of searching for higher yield. So as long as the yield level are just higher uh, as well in Asian markets, I believe that those those can come back. Mm. Uh, Francis, the National Bureau of Statistics in China is to publish inflation data today. What are you expecting and how do you think this is going to affect currencies? We think actually we would continue to see some soft trends. So PPI would continue to drop uh, because uh, we already see some weak PMI input prices. And uh, CPI would also be soft uh, pretty much due to the drop or the deceleration in food price inflation. So all you know, it seems that there's no demand pressure. And that would give uh, the PBOC some leeway to continue to be quite accommodative. We are not really expecting, you know, across the board rate cut or reserve rate or cut, but the PBOC could inject liquidity as and when. Thank you. That's Francis Chung, Head of Rate Strategy at Credit Agricole. Well, Singapore's retirement income system leads other Asian countries, most of which still lag behind the Western world. Now, this is according to a global Mercer study, and joining us to com- comment on this is uh, Simon Ferry, who is the retirement business leader of Mercer Hong Kong. Good morning, Simon. Good morning. Simon, can you tell us about the Mercer Global Pension Index and what it measures? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so just to give the, the highlight level introduction to it. It's actually the Melbourne Mercer Global Pension Index. So it's a collaboration between the Australian Centre for Financial Studies and Mercer. And basically what we try and do is compare retirement systems around the world, um, taking more than 50 different complex factors, boiling that down into a simple single number that you can compare from one country to another. Um, to give you a bit more detail on that, it actually those factors can be grouped into probably three areas. Um, there's one around adequacy, which is looking at things like the level of benefits that are provided or contributions that go in, the tax support, uh, the investment growth. There's sustainability, so you know, how suitable that program is in the long term, the coverage of the population, the funding, um, the robustness to changes in population, the demographics, um, and integrity. Uh, and again, it's a very important one looking at things like the regulation, the governance, the way in which those plans are managed, the oversight, um, but also things like the communication, the way in which uh, members are supported through those programs, and the costs. And Simon, what are we finding uh, with Asian countries here and the index measures for them? Well, as you mentioned, it does seem that there's a bit of a trend that Asian com- uh, countries are behind um, a number of, sort of, if you look at particularly Europe, North America um, and Australia. Um, I think a lot of that is to do with the maturity of the system. 
So you know, the retirement systems in a, in a lot of countries in Asia are um, much younger. I mean, if you look at Hong Kong, you know, the, the MPF, the Mandatory Provident Fund, coming up for its 14th birthday. Um, Singapore, the, um, the CPF there, the Central Provident Fund, I believe, will, uh, it's been established since around about 1955. Um, so, again, even, even within Asia, there's a lot of difference in the maturity of the and system. And do we expect things to get better in the future for Asian countries? Um, I think it could. I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting trends that are happening globally around uh, retirement. There's a lot of legislation changes happening in Asia, but also in the developed world. And there's an element of convergence. So I think if you look at, um, again, Europe, a lot was around protection put in, securing a certain level of income for people through government support, basic state pensions, but also what employers provide. Um, there's been a lot of move there, I think, towards a more flexibility. So if you look at what's happening in the UK recently, allowing people more options to draw down on their retirement benefits, um, basically less in terms of securing um, a particular level of, of income in retirement. Um, so that flexibility, I think, is very important, particularly given the changes we're seeing in demographics, the changes we're seeing in what people want. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Simon. That's Simon Ferry. He is the retirement business leader at Mercer Hong Kong. The time is now 8.16 a.m. and Barron's, which is sometimes called the most widely read U.S. investment magazine, is launching its Asian edition. This marks its first overseas foray since its founding in 1921. My colleague Chris Oliver has the story. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Renita. The site is presenting rich people around the world who want to know more about investing. Uh, alongside content from the U.S., it will present a daily investment column, an Asian stocks blog, and information about Asian companies and investment funds. Uh, we're joined on the program now by Kopin Tan. He's managing editor of Barron's Asia. Good morning, Kopin. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having us. So I noticed one story that's trending on the Barron's page today is uh, it presents the case for buying Alibaba options. Is this an example of the kind of story that would actually bring intelligence about Asian companies? It is one of the things we would write about, um, Alibaba being a very hot stock at the moment. Um, we use the opportunity to talk to people about how to use options to hedge their Alibaba holdings. Okay, so the expansion here, as far as I understand, won't see any of the content translated from English into regional languages. No, it will be original content. We have a team of nine journalists here that we've hired over the summer, and we've just started. We launched in the wee hours of this morning. We're very excited about that. And we will have a local team uh, writing about Asia from Asia. I'm just curious, what is the existing market here for stock market tips and information? Do you know what you're competing against? Is it SCMP or is it other sort of high-profile We certainly have a lot of competition here, but we feel that at Barron's we do something very unique. We don't just write about the news because we don't have the ability to compete. I think we live in a world where news is very commoditized. However, we put on opinions and analysis about news. We never write about something unless we have an opinion about it, unless we feel something is overvalued or undervalued. And, um, you know, we think we, we like to think we do something different there. What do you think is going to be your target audience? We think the target audience will be wealthy people in Asia, people who want to read about the markets. Um, I don't know if you know, I'll tell you a story about that starts with Once Upon a Time. <laughs> Once Upon a Time um, in the U.S., the Wall Street Journal was published Monday to Friday, and Barron's came out on Saturday writing for, you know, dentists, doctors, accountants who want to read about the markets but don't have time to 
to read it every day. And we've built up an audience of that kind of uh, investors. And we like to continue that trend here. So and when you're talking about the trend for Asia, are you targeting Asian people, Western people, U.S. citizens or European? Uh, or is it who? Good question, Stuart. Thank you for that. Um, we are targeting um Asian audiences, and but we won't rule out the fact that there are a lot of people in the U.S. who are very interested. In fact, uh, if you log onto the website, you will if you subscribe to Barron's Asia, you will have the ability to read the U.S. site for free, and if you subscribe to the U.S. site, you will also get the Asia site for free. And we think that cross um, pollination, across um, um, marketing, is is a great thing. Uh, we live in a global age; borders are porous. When I, when I read the U.S. edition of Barron's, it's absolutely packed full of adverts for U.S. mutual fund companies and, huh. and promoters of U.S. And mutual funds. And we're very funds. proud of that. Um, but there are regulatory problems in Asia to absolutely. do that same thing. So uh, is that something you try to overcome or, or are you going to have a different uh, support base? You mean advertising strategy? Yes. We have local advertisers. We're going after local advertisers. Some of our initial advertisers are local, like Nico Asset Management, for example. Mm. We also have a lot of um, global advertisers. But we certainly are going after um, local advertisers. If you log onto the um, Asia site, you will be able to. We're able to cookie the um, ads such that only the local ads will pop up. So, what, what, excuse me, sorry, Stuart. What, what, one of the things I enjoy about the publication is your Aaron's, uh, your Barron's roundtable, uh, ten uh, financial market experts. Any idea to uh, regionalize that? Uh, open up an Asian channel. I don't see any sort of foreign uh, Asian voices on the panel as yet. Absolutely, um, Chris. We plan to do a Asia uh, version of the roundtable here, and we're working on it as we speak. And, and are you going? I mean, you're based here in Hong Kong, but is Hong Kong the base of where your information is coming from, or are you going to be Singapore, Korea, Japan? We realize that it's very challenging covering Asia because it's a collection of different markets, very different from the U.S. So we think the at first, 50% of our coverage will be Greater China. But the beauty of the Internet is we are able to see what people are reading. If we write a story about Indonesia, for example, and people are responding, readers are responding, we might do more stories about that. Copen, um, um, I liked your example, your, your Once Upon a Time story, because okay. I think that really puts it into perspective uh, for a lot of us, you know, how Barron started and where it is. Is that sort of your aim here as well, sort of to target the doctors and the lawyers and the professional audiences who don't have the time uh, to look at, you know, the stock stories on a daily basis? Certainly. Um, Today in the U.S., we have 400,000 subscribers, paid subscribers, and more than half of these are individual investors. The rest are professionals, um, you know, money managers, and we hope to duplicate that mix here in Asia. Now, Asians, uh, all over Asia, certainly here in Hong Kong, we have a lot of offerings from the various Dow Jones companies, right? There's the Wall Street Journal, there's Market Watch, um, you know, there's Dow, what comes out on Dow Jones Newswires that you can pick up in sort of other publications as well. Now, Barron's. Um, is there some competition between all these different companies? <laughs> we are sister publications for a reason, and there is always a little competition between sisters, but we like to help each other out. We have the same parent. Um, we love the fact that we work for a big company that produces news and do it well, 
but we leverage off of that and we do opinion analysis of that news. Is that uh, not covered in the other publications, the opinion analysis? It is, analysis? it is, but we do it slightly differently and we can be complementary to each other. And you, there's, uh, as an introductory to the site, I believe the, uh, the, the, the app will be free for uh, su- su- subscription, for th- free for about six months. Is that right? Um, it's actually, we're going to be free for three months. We'll, we, we will be all digital. We will be on the website. We'll be on apps on Android and Apple. We will be free from October to mid-January. We realize that people here don't know Barron's very well, and we need to introduce ourselves to the audience here. Final question to Stuart. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just wondering if, whether you'll actually get into China as well, because, you know, China is a restrictive market for any, any Internet uh, publication. Yes, it's uh, an excellent question, Stuart. We're trying to figure out um, we are an English publication, but we are working on the ability to start translating some content in China to help us reach the Chinese audience. Have a word with Google, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank uh, you, Chris. Thank you, Colton Thank you. You wouldn't throw banana peels, candy wrappers, or cans all over your house, right? Of course not. Hong Kong is our home. We should keep it clean. Please don't litter. Also, pick up the litter you see. Just a little more effort, and you will make Hong Kong a cleaner and better place. Make our home a better place. Keep Hong Kong clean. Money does talk and it appears to be walking too, or if not walking, then certainly riding around town. Uh, The Hong Kong Monetary Authority is visiting neighborhoods throughout the city in an effort to round up spare coins. The collection vans known as coin carts let you exchange your coins for octopus credit. So joining us to discuss this further is Lydia Chan of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. Good morning, Lydia. Good morning. Uh, Lydia, can you explain to us what is the coin cart collection program? And how does it work? Um, this is a definitely a very happy project for the Hong Kong people uh, because we have two um, 10 tuck trucks visiting neighborhood over 18 districts with over 22 public housing estates. We have started the operations um, last week. Um, we have served 5,000 people already with everybody putting out their jars of coins visiting us and getting the money back in cash or upload their value into the autobus card. So Lydia, it sounds like a lot of fun and certainly I've seen the pictures of the coin carts around town. I haven't seen them myself, although I think that's going to be my aim in the next few days. Uh, The question is, why did you actually start this? Yeah, because I think um, this is a common issue for any other territories in the world, uh, any other central bank who would like to deal with the coins issues. Um, I think there's a, probably a mismatch because the um, the user and the holder of the coins, the small value coins, cannot get value, and the retailer hates it because there's a high cost of processing and carrying around and lining up the banks for, for, for values. 
Um, one of the questions I've got is why aren't you allowing the coins to be converted into a charity contribution? Yes, we do have because uh, we have free devices on the card. First, so you, you can, can get yes. Mm. First of all, you can get value by cash, mm. and secondly, you can upload into the autobus. And we have a donation box for charity cash. Any charity or select community charities? community chest community chest because you know one of the things I've realised over the years and I've collected thousands of these. So, so please come round to my place as well and I'll, I'll give you a few more coins yeah. but I, I've also found that it's a good way in which to make a contribution to charities yes, there definitely. are various places that they, they will take them in and, and take them over yes definitely and, and is there a long term objective of the monetary authority to get rid of these small coins is uh, this one of your early ways in which to in fact cease to have these coins uh, no I think why not is it, yeah. uh, I think nobody noticed I think rarely people notice um, the tens and the twenty cents actually increase in circulation by ten percent in the five ten years last five years uh, because as our economies are growing uh, with octopus and other economic um, electronic payments devices everybody's growing including the coins and also nooks in circulations. Lydia, is there any reason for which a customer's coins might be rejected? Um, I think um, uh, because we have uh, to explain, we have two automatic um, coin counting machines on the card, and they can recognize uh, the most popular uh, versions of our coins now. So um, because we would like to get more surface and more efficient, we only calibrate the machines for the most um, circulated so ones. The, the brass ones? Yes, the, um, the most recent run, including the Queen's and also the Bohemia, the current series. For the old, very, very old series, we may not be able to, to accept it, and they will be rejected. Mm. Of and course, the... But, but of course, please look at them because they may be some treasure hunting. <laughs> and, and Lydia, where can we find, uh, how, how long are the coin cards going to be out and where can we actually find them? It's just, uh, is it random or is there no, a no. set path? Uh, we have um, launched a program for testing in the uh, pilot run for two years. Uh, we have started the operation last week. It was very successful. We saw many, many happy faces, which we want now. Mm. Um, happy people taking their cash away and uh, we have actually um, launched the program in our website so we have planned it for each card to visit a location for around seven days we started the service from nine and until seven in the evening so after work you can still bring your coins to it um, to the card and you can <coughs> check the location according to our website and all the schedule has been posted already so today we are now visiting Sin Soi and also uh, in Tinmoon. Okay thank you so much Lydia that is Lydia Chan of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. Stuart, uh, it's time to close. Any quick thoughts before we do? Uh, I can't wait to get rid of this load of rubbish <laughs> in my pocket, actually. That's the best news I've heard today. Yeah, I've, I've got coins uh, in every pocket, every bag, so this is certainly good news for me. All right, thank you so much. That is uh, to my co-host, Stuart Aldcroft. And we'd love to hear uh, what you have to say, listeners. So as a reminder, please uh, leave comments to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash money for nothing on RTHK Radio 3 or 
send me a tweet and my Twitter handle is Rini Mal, R-E-E-N-Y-M-A-L. A quick look at the closing numbers. The Nikkei is open. It is up a half a percent to 15,119. Uh, Seoul's Kospi is also up to 1,932 and uh, Australia's ASX index up seven-tenths of a percent to 5,243. Uh, current in currencies, the euro, u, euro to the U.S. is 1.26 U.S. dollars. U.S. to yen is currently at 107, and Great Britain pound uh, buys you 12.3 Hong Kong dollars. A quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be mainly fine, apart from some haze with a maximum temperature around 28 degrees Celsius. The Relative humidity right now is 74% and the temperature right now is 23 degrees Celsius. This is Money for Nothing. I'm Renita Malhotra-Hura and now it's time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. Police have cleared dozens of protesters from a major thoroughfare by the chief executive's office in Admiralty, arresting 37 men and eight women. Last night, pro-democracy demonstrators took over Longwall Road following police action yesterday to clear barricades in other areas. Chaos erupted when police moved in shortly before 3 a.m. to clear the protesters. Pepper spray was used on several occasions and television footage showed a number of apparently injured people, including police. The situation is now calm. Maggie Ho reports. None of the earlier tension now. The number of police officers and protesters and the confrontations have decreased. The protesters who earlier tried to block Longwall Road were driven to Tamer Park in the early hours and they were surrounded by police who were armed with shields. But as day breaks, a lot of the protesters have left the area and I'm sitting in Tamer Park. I can see there are only a few dozens of them left. 